This is Soundtrack, a music podcast about the music that impacts our lives. Every episode is a conversation of how music has shaped and influenced one's life, because music is the soundtrack to everyone's story. Soundtrack is hosted by Kaya Lifty. Hey, everyone. I'm here with Rocky Kim. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? I'm doing well. It's uh, it's been a while. <laughs> it has. It it feels like like last week as well as six yeah. years. <laughs> yes. Did you move here in 2013? Is that right? Yeah, I was in GR when when was that? Yeah, I moved there 2013 and I left. 2015. 2015. Yeah. 2015. Yeah. yeah. So I was there two years. Right. So that's how we uh we met. You you moved here and. We didn't just talk about music. We also would talk a lot about movies. Yeah. I remember several conversations that we've had pertaining yeah, to, totally. to film as well. I don't know if you were ever into film scores or anything. Uh, y- yeah, some. Yeah. yeah, and I think I have some some artists that have influenced me that, yeah, are primarily known as... Um, yeah, that are known for their scores in movies and films primarily. Okay. So, you're originally from Central California. It's called Santa Maria. Yeah, the Central Coast. Uh, yeah. in a moderately sized town called Santa Maria. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, an hour north of Santa Barbara and known for wine, barbecue, and strawberries. It's uh, quite the eclectic uh, collection there. Yeah, exactly. What they're known yeah, for. Music's not one of them for sure. So I, I don't get how I got into music, but yeah, it, it is. It's a it's a wonderful place. It's yeah, small but it's cool. I like it. Your childhood, you. It's is so fascinating to me because you were listening to Nirvana, Wu Tang Clan. <laughs> how does that even happen as a child? <laughs> You're not even a teen. You're doing this as a kid. Yeah, and it, you know, some maybe some parents might kind of cringe at the <laughs> idea of. I mean, I do recall when I was like in third grade listening to Nirvana and Wu Tang, and it, it stems from I had four older brothers. They were considerably older too. My brother that's closest in age is four years older than me. So, and I'm the youngest. So I kind of was influenced by their taste in music, right? So mm-hmm. they're listening to what was cool then, and. You know, I'm in, from a first-generation Korean-American family, so uh, my parents immigrated, and all my brothers were born in Korea, and I was the only sibling that was born here. So when we came, obviously my parents didn't speak any English, and they didn't really have much influence on the music that my brothers were listening to, so they started gravitating to the music that their friends were listening to. And um, I recall many times my brother's friends would come over and they would use my, my parents, you know, old school hi-fi system. Yeah. Listen to the radio and, you know, what, what, whatever was on. And this is kind of, this is the uh, late eighties, right? So, yeah. So essentially their musical kind of influence trickled down to me. And to, to be honest, I didn't initially like it because they would play it so loud. And I was just like, yeah. I just want quiet. And, you know, our house is always full of people because I had so many siblings. But it wasn't until I actually started playing 
the guitar that I really appreciated that. And, but I actually had a neighbor who played guitar who was really into Nirvana. He was a huge Kurt Kurt Cobain fan. He was into Pink Floyd. I remember watching Pink, uh, The Wall, uh, that movie that they put out as a as a kid and having nightmares because <laughs> I thought my skin was going to melt off. <laughs> oh my but my neighbor, Mark, his name was Mark Trotter. He was an awesome neighbor. He was English and he was a great guitar player. Hmm. What I recall, you know, he was just able to play kind of anything he heard. So he taught me the song uh, Come As You Are on Nirva- uh, uh, Nirvana's Come As You Are. And yeah, I just remember sitting in his front yard on this little brick, brick wall and he showed me those, I don't know, five notes, four notes, and showed me the rhythm, and I got it, and I was like, this is cool. And then I didn't have a guitar. I just, you know, used his. So that was my first instance, like first, my exposure to guitar that I and I really liked it, but because I didn't have a guitar, I didn't have the discipline like he had. You know, I just I never picked it up when I was younger. So that's how I'm kind of into both of those I would say kind of dissonant genres, right? Because they're not really, yeah, yeah, they're they're pretty different. So, yeah, it was, and I'm really grateful for that because now you know I can go back and listen to Tupac and listen to Led Zeppelin, right? Right. Because those two like are musical geniuses in their own rights, and I can really appreciate not only the music but the lyrics. I mean everything. So. Yeah, I mean, there's a, a pretty complex story, but it makes sense in my head. What other, you know, music were your brothers listening to? Yeah, you know, it was N.W.A. You know, a lot of rappers that probably I can't recall, but yeah. I just remember it was a lot of rap music talking about really inappropriate stuff. <laughs> I remember, <laughs> I, yeah, I recall, remember hearing for the first time the the F bomb and mm-hmm. N.W.A.'s, you know, infamous song the, with the, the police. police. So. And hearing that for the first time, like, oh man, that's, that's, that's a bad word. And, you know, I had to have been, I don't know, third grade, second grade. Um, uh, Yeah. And again, this is not to, you know, the adults with little ones. I would never suggest that parents let their kids listen to that type of music when they're younger. But there is something to be said about the novelty of the music at the time, right? Because you heard it and it was different and even me as a, as a young child, I knew it was different than the stuff you heard, you know, walking through the grocery store or on the radio in the car. So it was, it was really unique. I'm assuming your parents had no idea too of like the, some of the yeah, lyrical. No, not so much. They were working yeah. a lot. And so we kind of had full reign on what we listened to growing okay. up and, you know, for better or for worse, my brother's kind of really appreciated that musical genre and so it 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 took off for sure in my house i'm I'm curious with wu-tang clan you know the connections to east asia for that mm-hmm. hip-hop artist if that had anything to do with the connection for your brothers and why they listen you know, to them yeah that's a great observation i think so my brother young he's my second oldest brother okay <laughs> he is the one who really got into wu-tang and and this is a little bit later but like when liquid swords came out and when jizza it was jizz and rizza like when they dropped that right it was obviously completely <laughs> influenced by east asian culture right and you know yeah. and as any wu-tang fan knows like that entire group has been influenced by um, east asian culture so 
Yeah, I, it's not something I I knew at the time, and maybe even for my brother, he didn't realize. But I think that's something that did kind of allow him to really resonate with that music. And it's funny because he now is really into martial arts, and he always has oh. been actually. Now that I think about it, yeah, I mean, he probably made that connection because he was the only sibling out of the four of us that that was into martial arts. He took taekwondo when he was younger, and now he's into a variety of different martial arts and, and accomplishing them actually. And so yeah. it's it it is that's a good observation that you bring bring that up because yeah, it, when I listen to Liquid Swords, that's a lot, or even uh, anything by Riz and Jizz, like it's so obvious that you miss it. I think that the East Asian culture or influence on especially the lyrics and especially their movies and yeah. their uh, filmography. Like, obviously it's there. Do you remember anyone else standing out at this time? Yeah. You know, I, as I think, I think there's a, a couple artists that I remember listening to, I think a tribe called quest Yeah, and forget there was another one that was really, I think they were Muslim. I don't know if they were, but I know they would only always say the holy city of Mecca. And like, I just remember always like that would come off of my tongue for some random reason. And it was from a, a song. I want to say it was tribal tribe called quest, but I don't remember. But yeah, I just remember like walking around, like rapping this song, the holy city of Mecca. And like, it was, it, it is interesting to hear the influence. Like we, as kids listen to that stuff naively. And then as you grow older and you, you like, kind of reflect back on those lyrics you realize these are like sophisticated extremely brilliant lyricists that are coming up with art and it is it is weird to go back like listening to cream and especially like inspector deck like when he drops his flow like i'm just like oh my i get chills every time he he starts rapping it's partly his you know his i think personally i think he's probably the best sounding rapper in the group uh, mm -hmm. maybe raycon him go back and forth you know, yeah. some people say like Method Man because they like that deep voice, but like there's something about Inspector Deck, and I think when when they, I was attracted to the way his voice sounded, but then when you go back and you listen to those lyrics, or like not even listen, because you can't just listen to them, you have to reflect on those lyrics. You're like, these boys are geniuses. Like they're coming up with, uh, you know, and the only person that I can think of that's recent that comes up with something similar that I would consider in the same conversation as Eminem. And in, to be honest, I'm not the biggest fan of Eminem, but I can really admire the way he, his ability to use lyrics as art. And, I, I you know, there's some others. Uh, Lupe Fiasco is also uh, J. Cole as well. But yeah. Eminem was probably one of the first that I really thought, like, he's probably in the same conversation with, you know, Wu-Tang, like, in terms oh, of yeah. the ability to communicate verbally and lyrically. Like, it, mm -hmm. it just, yeah, completely different. Absolutely. Let's move on to uh, middle school. Oh, good old middle school years. <laughs> that bad? <laughs> you know, actually, I have no complaints about middle school. It, it was interesting because my brothers were at that age where they were all kind of leaving the house or yeah. out of, you know, graduating high school when I had started middle school. So I didn't really have kind of influences. So I was kind of coming into my own and I was known as the the little brother of Sam and Young like they they were fairly well known in uh, at the high school and the the junior high that I went to. So uh, I say it's weird because I was kind of coming into my own and trying to get out of their shadow. And I think in some ways me listening to Lauren Hill kind of was that cuz they I don't think I don't recall them ever listening to Lauren Hill. That was kind of my own 
kind of discovery of how 11, 12, 13 year old, whatever you are, and listening to something that seemed revolutionary and that you discovered it on your own. It wasn't the influence or of a friend or of a sibling. How did you come across Lauren? Was it like, I don't even remember. I think I'm trying to remember when the miseducation of Lauren Hill came out, but um, 98, 99, I believe. Yeah. So it came out, it came out my eighth grade year. Yeah. So I just remember I, I was, I think it was in the car. I was driving somewhere and then one of her songs came on and I was like, who is this? Like, uh, you know, a female vocalist, but also who can rap. And yeah. then there's this like these solid beats behind it, right? Not just yeah. your typical hip hop beats, not your kind of Wu Tang. It was a different uh, way to think about beats. And um, it wasn't your typical hip hop beat that I really appreciated. Are you like referring to there weren't samples? Yeah, so much yeah used? exactly. Yeah, you read my mind. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was, right, they sounded more like songs, right? And then I guess it. this may be my opening to kind of the typical, for lack of a better word, the pop song structure, right? You have that yeah. kind of, that chorus, right? That, that hook that you have that, you know, unfortunately is usually sung by, you know, a non-rapper vocalist and, you know, kind of, I, I think of like Puff Daddy's I'll Be Missing You, you yeah. know, with a tribute to B.I.G. Like, right. you know, a decent, decent rap, you know, tribute to B.I.G. And then you get Faith Evans, which is B.I.G.'s wife. But like, you know, that that's kind of what was stuck in my mind at that point with Lauren Hill, realizing like you could, you don't have to rap, you know, 12 stanzas to get, your message across it could be something mm-hmm. a lot more fluid i guess you know going from verse to chorus verse to chorus and and some people might think that's boring and it kind of is if you kind of think of like the pop pop music structure but at the same time there is something kind of refreshing about it because it does allow it allows room for a song to kind of latch on to you as opposed to like having to follow each of the you know i'm thinking of like cream or something like you have to you have to follow that. And, you know, mm-hmm. even when it gets to that hook, it's music, but, you know, he's he's rapping. It's not it's not the same as a chorus that, you know, Lauren Hill might sing. Was there uh, anyone else besides Lauren Hill during those middle school years that you were discovering? This is where, you know, I was probably at a detriment influenced by my friends. And mm-hmm. my friends were kind of listening to uh, who Papa Roach? Um, uh, uh, I'm trying to think who else. Creed. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I want to say I uh, maybe some friends got into Creed. Um, you know, I did in middle school. Right, Big died in '96 or '97. Yeah. Right. So right. Uh, P Diddy and um, was it Mace? They had yeah. like some pretty pop, some big pop hits that I think me and my friends were into. But yeah, I, I, I'm not particularly proud of the other things I listen. Honestly, the only, the reason why I only put Lauren Hill on there from my middle school is like <laughs> probably the artist I'm, that I would like to admit that I listen to. But yeah, Creed, uh, <laughs> Papa Roach, and to be honest, as I look listen back to that stuff, it, it's not bad. It's just it's so like 
it, it sounds ironic to me, like, and I can't believe I didn't hear that as a middle schooler, but I mean, you're in middle school, so, you know, what do you know? But, and all my, I know all the people who like Papa Roach and, I know Papa Roach, I think came from this area. He, they were from like the Vacaville. Oh. Yeah. So I, I hear references to them occasionally. Um, <laughs> Vacaville is like 20 minutes north of me. Um, but uh, yeah, so just, wow. Um, I just remember when B.I.G. died, it affected me because it affected my friends. You know, like everyone was like, oh, he died. And, yeah. But yeah, you know, it was one of those things like, eh, I'm just going to act the part because I wasn't a big fan of B.I.G. Even though I listen to his stuff now, I'm like, wow, that's good stuff. It's just because I had kind of moved on from that kind of genre of of rap, you know, kind of the Tupac, B.I.G., West Coast rap, if you want to call it that. Right. And, um, I know lots of people don't like to call it the West Coast rap anymore, but whatever. Well, let's let's talk about high school. Alternative music really was starting to influence you during that time. So the likes of Dave Matthews, mm-hmm. Death Cab, for Cutie. John Mayer's not really alternative, but it's yeah, it's more. It's I, he, close. he would admit he's pop for sure. Like yeah, especially that early stuff. Yeah, it was yeah. really poppy. But so yeah, in high school. Yeah, it, it, you're right. It is a like complete like detour in terms of music, given my history. Uh, you know, as I think back on high school, I wasn't into music in terms of like for the art. I was into music. I was into the music that everyone else was into, and I, you know, I was kind of at a stage in life where I was trying to fit in and be liked. Right. So, I think musically i didn't take any risks and i only listened to i'm trying to think i i I know in high school like i listened to blink 182 uh and weezer maybe should have been on the list like i know i had friends who listened to those bands and then i had friends who listened to the standard uh pop r&b rap kind of artists but i wouldn't even consider this could consider them rap artists but you know like i remember like shaggy got really big yeah you know that song um angel Uh, angel and it wasn't me like yeah like it blew up like everyone was listening to that song and i and it was it's a good song like it's kind of that caribbean vibe sean paul uh, too yeah yeah i mean similar you know totally sounding yeah and i i got into it because all my friends were into it and of course it sounded good but it wasn't necessarily something that intrigued me musically again i was preoccupied with trying to fit in and, you know, be liked. and Yeah. So, yeah, it was uh, music kind of took the the backseat in, in terms of how, I, well, in terms of focus when I was in high school. But then when I was in my senior year of high school, I don't even remember when it was. I, you know, uh, torrenting back then was getting, like, big when I was in high school. This is, like, 2001 and two. So torrenting, and then there was a couple like uh, P2P ways to save uh, share music, like yeah. post Napster. I'm trying to think of the names of the, uh, what were the names? Yeah, I don't remember, but like it was it was post Napster, but yeah. like there were all these different. Well, like LimeWire, Lime Lime that's mind. the one I use. Yeah, LimeWire and a couple others, but you were able just to download tons of music. Yeah. And I totally got into that and downloaded it. And then I remember listening. I don't even know how. It got into like a, a catalog of music that I downloaded, but it was John Mayer's Why Georgia. And I don't want to sound cliche, but 
truly that song changed my life. Like when I listened to it, I realized there is something unique about this song and um, not only in its musical complexity, but like just the originality. And it, you know, for guitar players, they know that the chord progression is a, a basic chord progression, pretty common. But musically what's happening, it is super complex. And it, it's interesting. I always gauge uh, someone's guitar playing based on whether or not they can actually play that note for note. And it's it's really interesting. You You talk to like real musicians. And again, I don't consider myself a real musician, I consider myself an aspiring musician because I've played with real musicians and I know I don't have what they have. And so, yeah, yeah. when a musician is able to play that song note for note, it is, it's truly genius. And it's, it's a, it's a feat for sure. Like I can play the song 90%. There's like 10% of it I cannot play. And I just kind of pretend like I, I do these little shortcuts but yeah, it really was. It was that kind of that aha moment that I needed to play guitar. That's really what it what it was. And you know, kind of thinking back, I was like, oh, I, I remember I played a couple of songs with Mark, and you know, and I remember getting a random guitar from like my cousin, mm-hmm. like this, you know, beginner Yamaha guitar, and listening to that song and trying to figure it out. Anyone who knows music or knows guitar playing, being a beginner who's like barely played guitar and trying to learn that song is not a good idea. It really, it would, yeah, it would kill anyone's <laughs> passion Motivation. for music because it's such a hard, yeah, exactly. Um, it's such a hard song to play. But I went at it for like two years, like literally. Like there were, I want to say like the, the summer after my senior year, I played. I tried to play that song like eight hours a day, just like nonstop. I was wow. just like, yeah, just focused on this. Like, even by the end of the summer, like playing eight hours a day, I was nowhere near to playing. To get to the place where I could actually play the song through and it sound like the song or similar to the song, probably took like four years, three to four years. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, so that's why that song is on there, and that's why um, I kind of use that as my maybe my detour, kind of the crossroads of that detour, because that's the song that really changed the way that I um, not only thought about music, but also like what I considered cool. Because before mm-hmm. that, it had to you know have you know a beat to it, and you know some female singer singing the chorus and you know like yeah just completely blew my mind when i heard that song and it it opened up for other artists and other songs to yeah for sure and that's how i got into dave matthews band Um, i want to say right after that song i just started listening to a lot of like acoustically driven music and that's how i got into dave matthews um um, i got into guster because i went and saw john mayer some uh, Fresno somewhere in central California and Guster opened for them and wow. it was awesome just like you know and I was new to music and new to you know I was probably like first year of college mm-hmm. you know driving th- four hours to go to a concert and you know up until that point I hadn't I hadn't been to many concerts so that was like a kind of formative experience as well like going on my own with a couple friends going to this concert and hearing 
gusts are open, and it was awesome. And then, uh, you know, John Mayer obviously did phenomenally as well. So you mentioned you saw John Mayer live. What was that like? Because I've heard that's so amazing. Yeah, I've seen him actually like three times now. Okay. Yeah, in my lifetime. So the first time I saw him after the Room for Squares album that uh, Ray George is on. Mm-hmm. And that probably was my favorite concert because I knew all of the songs. Mm. There weren't any new songs, right? And so, you know, the kind of the unspoken rule at a concert is when an artist, set, you know, plays their new stuff, you go to the bathroom, you know? So, like, <laughs> that first concert, I knew all the songs. And, yeah, I want to say he didn't play. Like, every song he played was from that album. And then he played a couple of covers. And uh, maybe he played, like, one new song. I don't remember. But, yeah. Yeah, it was just kind of a kind of out of body experience in that like you know, I'm sitting there trying to take in like that experience with all the people, uh, you know, people singing and almost like a like a worship experience, right? So people like yeah. are are like worshiping John Mayer or Guster and and it it gets to that it for sure gets to that point, I think, for a lot of people. But for me, I was trying to appreciate the music and hear the music, but also like take in this new experience. So it was probably way more overwhelming than I want to admit. But yeah, it was awesome. And I just remember hearing Guster, they opened and they played the song Fafa. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know how well known Guster is. I feel like they were no, well known a while back, but really kind of dropped out of popularity. But they, that song, I mean, that the the way, and I wish I knew the band member. I don't know them that well, but I know the percussion player in that song. He plays this in, just incredibly sick beat, like with like five different instruments. So it's like some bongos. It's he's, he's playing something on the kick, uh, not a kick drum. It's like a it's like a djembe or something. He's like a, yeah. has a kick pedal connected to djembe, and then he's playing like yeah these bells and like. And it, I just remember like watching him because, um, oh yeah, one of the things I didn't mention is like in high school, I wanted to get, I, I started playing drums. So I started playing drums like sophomore okay. year of high school. And I had a friend, I had friends who were in a band and they're like, hey, you want to be the drummer? And I, and I wasn't very good. Man, I could keep tempo, but it just was, I didn't commit to it because I was preoccupied with other things in high school. But I just remember like knowing like, how to identify a good drummer or a good percussion player versus a bad drummer. And I just remember like hearing that percussion player for Guster, like doing like, like his brain must, he must have like five different brains because his hands were doing like five different things. And yeah, it was, that song was just incredible. And then right. Not anticipating that I was going to be like changed by the opening act. And then, you know, and then having to deal with like Guster could alone could have been, its own concert right they mm-hmm. had a long set too i think at least 30 minutes but it was a really long set and then after that i was like i need to decompress that that <laughs> percussion player was incredible and then yeah john Mayer came up but yeah i think overall that experience kind of really formed like this new understanding of music what is music and kind of my preference of music and and i'd be lying to say that you know no one liked John Mayer, but at that time, John Mayer was new, and I, I think the recording that I got was actually a, a live recording at some university, if I remember correctly. Okay. I downloaded um, 
on uh, LimeWire. So, yeah, so it, it, it felt like I was a part of something that was new and unique and at the complete opposite of what I was in high school in, in terms of music. And, you know, I was kind of following everyone else's interests in high school. And, and that, in addition to Why Georgia and the, the musical genius, all that stuff kind of really formed me and pushed me in this new direction. The detour, if you want to call it that, because I do come back to my hip hop roots for sure. Um, I was living in some denial, maybe in college. Yeah, uh, especially early college where I didn't listen to any hip hop. And then it pokes at your brain and you hear something, you're like, oh, I got to go back to that. How crazy John Mayer, how popular he was even before Continuum. Yeah. Like, no such thing. Yeah. My body is a wonderland. Like, those Mm -hmm. songs were huge hits back in the day. It's just crazy to me that how popular he was before Continuum. So. Yeah, I know he was. And and I remember reading a couple of blogs about his experience. And I think there there were a couple people who attributed his his early success to people being able to record his concerts. And so um, like when he would play, and I, I, if I remember correctly, I think Dave Matthews allowed the same thing. Same and that's thing, how they got yeah. It. Yeah. So they allowed people to go sit next to the soundboard, the mixer, and get a line out of the concert and you could record it and then you share it online. And I think as long as, as long as you didn't sell it for money, they were cool with it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it was, that was, I felt like that was the reason, especially with the kind of the birth of the internet or the, I guess the sharing of information, Mm -hmm. democratization of information, right? Like, yeah that fancy word that everyone uses, but I think it, it really does play a pivotal role in how music is distributed. And obviously we're here uh, live streaming over Google Chrome as a result. Right. <laughs> so I, I always think back, like, what if I wouldn't have stumbled upon that song? Like, you know, downloading that catalog. I remember I downloaded like back then it was like a one gigabyte catalog of just music. And I was just like, Oh my, this is going to take forever. And and it did take forever to download oh it did yeah it took like a day i think Um, (laughs) yeah (laughs) but downloaded it and i I just remember going through the songs and i just like i there was a ton of songs i knew and i was like okay you know i know those songs and then i I just remember double clicking on the mp3 i said why georgia and and i remember the bitrate was really bad it was like you know i think back then it was like 128 was like the norm but it was like it was half that or something it was (laughs) uh, but it wasn't good but i just remember that that guitar part, that intro part kind of playing through. And I'm just like, oh man, that is different and Mm. catchy. And right. It's not your typical, right. It's like G to C, right. And it, it, it's not G to C. It's so much more than that. It's very lyrical and uh, original. So yeah, I mean, there's a, I think a lot of components where I think back, like what if I hadn't heard that song? Like, would I be where I'm at today? And I actually don't think I would be like, because right. me starting to play guitar like led me in a completely different direction, especially in high school. So it was, yeah, and, and for the better, I'm not saying that I regret that decision, but at the same, it, it's more about like looking back and seeing like that was that pivotal moment, that detour that moved me not only in a different musical direction, but in a different life direction. Talk about that. What, what did playing the guitar do to change the direction of your life? So I was 
going to a fairly large church at the time, and there was a youth group, and this uh, group that I was a part of was known for their band. Like, mm-hmm. they had this band, and they played at their, they had this a Sunday night service called, they called it X service, and back then it sounded so cool. No, it doesn't sound very cool, but I think all my friends would agree, who went there now it's mm-hmm. not very <laughs> it doesn't sound very cool to call it x service but at the time it was really cool it was a a cool place to go be with friends but it was really good music with a full band and yeah i just remember going there and be, really being drawn to the music um they had really good vocalists great musicians and yeah i had just started playing guitar and so i'm playing guitar and then randomly the leads the lead singer who was the who was like the youth pastor, I think, of the group. Um, yeah, he was youth pastor at the time. So he heard me play guitar and sing at a school function that he was mm. at. And he heard me. And this is me like playing for like three months. Like, And and honestly, like I'm not even, I would not consider myself a vocalist at all. I can, I can sing nearly on pitch and you know, that's as good as I can do. And he heard me and he was like, Hey, have you ever thought about being in a band? And, and essentially invited me to be in the leader of the X service band. So at that moment, I had no experience being in a band. Number one had only really been playing guitar seriously for like, yeah, a couple months. Not, right. yeah. I, I, I don't even remember the timeline, but I, I want to say it was like a month, which sounds absurd, but I hadn't been playing very long. And me being in that band led me to actually meet my wife. She's an incredible vocalist, and she sang in the band. Uh, connected me to a group of friends who were incredibly talented musically. Kind of informed the the school that I would eventually choose, and even the career path that I chose. It kind of influenced all of that. And and it's funny because I started. I was in that band. I led that band for like two years. Mm-hmm. And then I went away to college because at the time I was going to, I had chosen to go to a, a local community college actually to be in the band. So I decided wow. not to go away to school because I wanted to be in this band. So I gave up going away to a four-year university. I, there was other reasons too. I didn't have the money to go away to four-year university and stuff. So I uh, went to a local, a local community college, played in this band, sucked for sure. I was horrible. Um, um, but you know, you learn by being in a band and uh, fortunately I had these awesome musicians around me my rhythm section I had a drummer and a bass player who were like phenomenal even now like they're top-notch musicians they could be studio musicians right now if they wanted to be Uh, and actually they have been they've they've been on uh, they've recorded some notable stuff in studio so uh, good stuff but like the drummer from uh, one of those bands played in my band and of course, like just shaking his head of like how bad I was, but you know, like they 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 endured, and I, I got better, obviously, and we were able to kind of find that pocket together and become a pretty good band. And then from there, like I went, I I went uh, to Orange County for I transferred to a four university uh, to Cal State Fullerton, and then I got mm-hmm. a job playing as a band leader at a very large church in Orange County. So, yeah, and then I, even, you know, I guess not to take the example even further, but I got to play with musicians who were just phenomenal. Like, I could not believe yeah. how good they were. Like, 
I would, they would listen to a song once and they would know, it was a complex song, like as, you know, as complex as it gets in terms of like Christian music and they would hear it, know it. And then I would say, Hey, can you play it? You know, two and a half steps lower. And they're like, yeah, sure. And like immediately like would know it. And I'm just like, that is just impossible. Like, how are you doing that on the fly? But yeah, I did that. I played, I was uh, at that job that in that band for like two years in Orange County, essentially paid my way through college being yeah. a band leader and playing kind of in this, something that a lot of people probably aren't familiar with, but especially in Orange County, larger churches pay their musicians. So for some right. service, they'll pay their musicians. And I was a part of a, like a network of churches that kind of pulled from the same group of musicians. And and by no means was I considered a musician, but because I was this band leader for this this high school group, they would pull me in anytime they had a really dire need for right. a guitar player or a band leader. And so mm-hmm. I was able to kind of jump into that and play at a variety of different prominent churches in Orange County. So um, again, it was, I can go back in my history and identify that one song by John Mayer, Why Georgia, hearing it that one time and knowing that this is different and this is going to lead me in a different direction. And it for sure did. There's no doubt. That's so awesome. I love that. So you you mentioned college and Hip hop kind of came back into uh, your life with the likes of J Cole, you know, Lupe Fiasco. Yeah, how did that come about? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm trying to remember the timeline specifically, but I know the song. Like, when I remember hearing um, "The Show Goes On" by Lupe Fiasco, I even I don't remember yeah. when it came out. That song, like, I, I want to say, it might have been I was I was after college actually, so I didn't even it was finished college was in the professional world and listening to this kind of acoustic driven pop music and you know feeling like I'm an adult and then like I think Lupe dropped the show goes on and I was like oh man yeah I want to say it came out like 2010 I don't remember but whenever it came out but yeah it totally changed the way like the way I viewed rap music and again I kind of shifted away from rap using thinking it was juvenile and less less musical and to be honest up until that point and up until before hearing lupe fiasco's the show goes on the show goes on for the first time i honestly didn't really listen to lyrics Mm. so even all of the john mayer stuff like everything like i it never was about the lyrics for me it was always about the music okay so you know even to this day you know i when I hear a song, I don't hear the lyrics. I hear the melody, hear the harmonies behind it. I hear the rhythm behind it. The words are the last thing. And, you know, even like Why Georgia, the song that I know inside and out, I forget the words all the time because I just, I know that melody. I just don't know the words. Actually, I probably know it now, but, you know, I remember for a while I was playing it straight for three years and I still didn't know the lyrics because that didn't matter to me. What mattered to me was that melody, that guitar part. Yeah, when the show goes on came out, when I heard it, Brown grass, green grass, picket fence or barbed wire. You can lift your hands and you lift, lift them higher, something like that. That I was like, oh man, he is he is like preaching right there. Like, and I think there's a lot more maybe layers to that song that I don't even understand. 
to this day even, but I just remember realizing that there is so much more to certain rap music. I, you know, I would say certain rappers and their message and what they're trying to get across. And yeah, and that song really did it for me too. So that was like maybe the return home to, to hip hop and kind of not only seeing it as a musical genre, but seeing it as like poetry, seeing it as a, seeing lyrics as art. Because, you know, music is an art, we know that. The melodies and harmonies and rhythm, all that stuff. But then the actual words and the placement of those words and the placement of those syllables and, you know, of like morphing those syllables so that they actually sound like they go together. Like that explosion happened in my brain when I heard that song. Yeah. And it's funny because uh, that's the like the opening song at my wedding. I got married in uh, 2012 (laughs) and uh, we played that song like the first song to open the dance floor. Like you could hear. Yeah, the opening to that song was just like everyone, you know, it's awesome because everyone knew the song and just wanted to dance to it, right? Like how yeah. many hip hop songs can you play and people actually want to dance to it, right? Mm. There is like, there's very few. Like if I would have threw, uh, you know, threw on a, a Wu-Tang song for that first song, I would be like, well, this is weird. Like you don't dance to this. But for some right. reason, something about Lupe, that song, it inspires you to do, to move, to, to think. What's interesting with Lupe, you know, he has this style of where he's got R&B elements and hip hop. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, you think about the regional rap influences, like, you know, Lupe being from Chicago. Yeah. And obviously it's a quintessential like Chicago influence and you can hear it it's just different than your east coast or west coast and then mm-hmm. even like chance the rapper like you hear that and you're like oh that's different too and 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 i it's i think it's influenced by that regional kind of culture and i guess the only parallel that i'd bring to that that i think is comparable not to say that this artist is as good as lupe but like nelly like really brought a new sound like kind of that southern hip-hop you know yeah. and i think I remember I wasn't a big fan of, of Nelly. I think I was because everyone listened to Nelly. But now as I think back, like that sound was unique mm-hmm. in a kind of a regional sound. I, I forget where in the South he's from, but I know he's from the South. And that hip hop was like born out of this kind of dance feel, like that feel where you wanted to move, even though it's a slow beat and there's kind of this gibberish over it, but it does prompt you to move like it invites you in to move as opposed to like Wu-Tang where you just have to think like actually to be honest I want to move when I hear Wu-Tang as well but like Tupac and you're like uh you know you kind of you bob your head as opposed to right you know moving your feet yeah your hips too yeah after grad school electronic and classical music gaining your attention and focus how did that come about you know, as I finished up kind of my musical tenure, like in in uh, like in work, so you know, I essentially played music from age eighteen to twenty three, and nonstop music. I just played nonstop. I, I, wow. I, I take that back. Twenty three is when I like when I graduated college, and then I played from twenty three to twenty seven-ish and I played nonstop. And then I went to grad school and I had opportunities to play all the time when I was in grad school. And that was until like 20, 20, uh, 
2013. So essentially playing from 2002 to 2013, like 11 years of like playing mm. music, consumed by it, being influenced by different genres. And then I just stopped. Like when I moved out to GR, I didn't play any music. And then I, it got people heard that I had played and then I had some opportunities to play there. And, but that wasn't something that I wanted just because I, I was kind of was burnt out on it, like burnt out on the, I don't even know what I was burnt out on. I think I was maybe frustrated on like plateauing as a musician and feeling like I can't mm -hmm. go any further. I didn't have the time to put in the efforts and the, and to learn just new things. And it just, maybe I was a little bit frustrated and just didn't want to do that. And maybe realizing the limitations of my ability and my talent, knowing that I'm able and capable to do a lot of things, but you know, I hit that ceiling for sure. And to say that I could get beyond that, I, I, you know, to be honest, I don't know if I would ever be able to. So I kind of stopped. I sold a lot of my gear. Uh, you know, I had dozens of guitars and wow. basses and drums and essentially sold, sold it all. And only I kept my like cherished guitar. Like I had two, I, I think I kept two guitars and my wife had a guitar. Yeah. So I kind of like, like full stop in playing music and you know I, and up until that point I had been writing music or trying to write music and feeling like you know it's hard you know anyone who says that writing music is easy like either it's not a good musician or you're writing bad music <laughs> so so yeah I mean I felt like I, I've written like dozens of songs but all of them are crap except for like maybe one or two that mm. I would like be willing to share with people and like oh yeah like you know I wrote I wrote a song for my wife or she was my fiance at the time but yeah just like you know kind of all of this stuff culminating in this like realization that maybe music isn't my future and obviously it wasn't but you know when you're in the midst of it like you feel like I'm going to be doing this forever because there's this high and this there's accolades that come with it right and it kind of is invigorating to be in that but then when you hit that ceiling and I can see why lots of musicians you know professional musicians and artists they get sick and tired of playing the same song for you know 10 years of their life and they're like i need to do something else and they it's just this you hit this ceiling and you don't want to do the same things you've been doing and for me i was limited by i think my my talent and so stopped and and i think that's where the opening to electronic music it wasn't even an opening i wasn't looking to like get into electronic music and i i hate that word or that title, electronic music, what? because I think it, it makes it sound like it's inferior in some way. And the artists that I listen to are like phenomenal musicians, right? So these are, these people are musicians at their core. And then yeah. they just utilize the electronic devices to enhance their musical ability. So yeah, I think for me, that was kind of realization like, you know, heard some stuff and I was like, oh, I wouldn't normally listen to this, but I want to listen to it. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And, you know, th there's some uh, artists that I didn't, you know, bring up. Like Santa Lucia was a, yeah. a band I listened to a lot. Oh, Owl City. I felt like Owl yep. City was like really pivotal in my life in terms of like hearing music differently. You know, if I heard that when I was in college, I would have said, ah, oh, that's not music because that's just like beeps and bops you know like that's like that's nothing 
there's no music to it. And then when you actually listen to it, you're like, oh, there's a lot of music behind this. So yeah, I think that for me, it was like this kind of another shift, if you will, like because mm -hmm. of the intense dive into this kind of alternative pop acoustic music and playing it surrounded by that music in that music all the time that I kind of like had a full stop. And yeah, being in GR, like I really got open to, I would, you know, take bike rides, go on long bike rides for, you know, some exercise and normally listen to like upbeat music, like rock music or uh, just something fast. Right. And then yeah. it was being in GR I forget what path it was, but it's near Granville. It goes like over a bridge, this long loop that I would take. And I would listen to the album Leaf because I heard it there for the, I heard it at Mars Hill actually. Um, yeah. And I was like, oh, that song is awesome. And then like, and I would listen to that song and it essentially is just like tones that go in and out. And I would listen to that song like on repeat as I would ride for an hour and a half. And it was like soothing to like quiet all the noise that was around me in terms of music. And just to hear like tones, that's all it was. Yeah. Like three, three notes essentially going back and forth, coming in and out. And I was like, oh, that's, and yeah, the name, the song is The Window, right? I don't know if right. you heard it, but. Oh, yeah. Super inspiring song. I've actually seen the album Leaf Live. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it was, uh, and they did Window. So that was, that was awesome. Mm -hmm. You know what? not just uh electronic but you you post rock i mean album leaf would be considered under post rock but you got also influences of cigarose mm -hmm. and i'm not familiar with teammate or the range i'm not yeah, sure they're yeah they're super regional man like um i have some really funny stories of how i got into them so i you know to be honest i can't remember which artist it was it was either teammate or the range i think it was teammate and I was uh -huh. listening to like morning edition on NPR on like some random Sunday morning, like years ago. And, yeah. you know, I have, I have kids and I have three kids and, you know, we, they watch and listen to lots of juvenile music and shows, you know, <laughs> like just one show that my kids are really into is Paw Patrol, you know, really popular with little kids and my kids, you know, at that time were pre preschool, pre pre preschool. So, you know, it has a theme song and we would listen to that theme song all the time. And like they would want it like to hear it at breakfast. And it's just kind of this loud, obnoxious Paw Patrol, Paw Patrol. And it's just like, ugh, like I'd want to get out of my head, like horrible song. I'm listening to this uh, morning edition story on NPR. And it's this artist who's creating some like really cool electronic music like fame has has eluded him. He, he hasn't been, a, been able to really gain traction, but he's a really talented musician and he kind of sings and produces like really cool, yeah, you know, post-rock or electro, whatever, you know, how, however you would yeah. categorize his music. And at the like end of the interview, uh, the interviewer says like, so I do have to bring up, I, you know, most people will recognize you from the Paw Patrol theme. <laughs> And I was like, wait, what? Like, and I'm like shocked. Like, I'm like jaw, like open, wide open and like sitting in the middle of my kitchen, like this can't be. And sure enough, like he, he tells he a story a of like his friend worked, did the music for the show and like called him. He's like, Hey, we need you to sing. We need someone to sing this song. Would you be willing to do it? Oh It'll gosh. be easy money. 
Uh. And he's like, okay, sure. Like he needed the money. He was a, like a starving musician. So he goes into the studio and, and records this theme to Paw Patrol. And, you know, and obviously he's not proud of it. He just, it's something he did for a paycheck. But it just was really interesting to hear how someone who's doing what they love to do and they were unable to like sustain themselves by doing that that one thing that they love to do and they had to kind of like lower their bar <laughs> you know so to speak so that yeah. they could eat right and right i don't know i when i heard that story i really like identified with that person cuz i think I was in that place. I think we've all been in that place at some point where, you know, we realize we can't do what we love all the time because we have to be an adult and, you know, we have to yeah. eat. And, and so I, I listened to his stuff and the, the song, nothing's ever over. That's the name of the song. The, yeah, it's, it's a super cool song. And I think it's one of those things where the context occasioned my liking of it. And hearing that story but then it like that's the song like when i go on a ride i went on a, a run this morning actually and i was listening to that song it's gained some popularity regionally and some djs have like remixed it with some beats and stuff but yeah it, it really peculiar story of how i got into teammate and the range i actually got into because i would listen to podcasts all the time on runs and and bike rides and i listened to a podcast called The Memory Palace. I don't okay. know if you've heard it. It's a really cool podcast. Uh, Nate DeMeo is the podcaster. It's it's fairly popular now, but he essentially just tells these incredible stories, these true stories throughout history. And they're really short. They're like 15, 20 minutes at the most. But The Memory Palace had a podcast about this museum in Virginia somewhere. And mm -hmm. it's just this really unique experience in terms of a podcast like you're supposed to like do something at some museum and listen to the podcast at the same time but it talks about the, at the end of the podcast it says you, you find yourself in the middle of a dance floor and you should dance and he drops this song called retune by the range and it's just like it's one of those songs where you hear it and you're like this is going to be good immediately from the very first note and it's just like this there's this incredible movement throughout the song there's a beat that drops. But yeah, it, it was one of those things. I was on a ride listening to that podcast. And then I heard the song and I was like, this is incredible. And, you know, it was weird because I was in a time where like, where I was really trying to figure out like my place as an individual. Mm -hmm. You know, I had achieved a lot in my career, but I still didn't feel like that I was contributing i guess and and i felt like i was just i was missing something i was missing the little things i wasn't admiring or enjoying the little things that i normally had in the past and i don't know that song kind of unlocked and just listening to podcasts in general unlocked something that i think that i realized like i should be enjoying this ride and this moment listening to this song more than i should be at this moment it, it was a it was a for sure a a change in perspective and i do attribute that song retuned by the range and again it's just some random individual musician creator uh i think mm -hmm. he's from like the new england area if i remember correctly but yeah just like super good song and it's like tons of movement it's a perfect song to listen to while you're you're writing or you're, you're running and 
but it's not your typical techno, you know, yeah. random dance song. Like this is truly like a musical entourage of notes. Like it just it surprises you every time you listen to it. I have to check it out. Yeah. Also wanted to talk about the fact that you're a teacher. Yeah. Audio engineer, actually. Yeah. How did I, that all I, come about? I stumbled into that actually. That's super weird. Um so when we moved to Benicia, I um, took a job that just didn't work out in the first year. So I kind of was at a crossroads again, like, yeah. what do I do? And it was something that I've always wanted to do. Like, I actually had considered getting my substitute permit. Like, you're, you, yeah. you have to get a permit to become a substitute. And I was considering just getting that just so that I could be with students because I had worked with students, uh, high school students in the past. So I decided... I'm just going to be a teacher. I actually had two routes. I was, I was actually going to sell insurance because my wife didn't want to move. So we had bought a house in Venetia and I was like, Laura, you know, my job's not working out. Like, do you want to move? She's like, nope. And I'm like, okay, we're here. And so I looked around and got offered a job to sell insurance. I actually took all the tests and then I actually applied to a school in Richmond, California. And uh, those of you who are unfamiliar with the Bay Area, Richmond is a, it's a very challenging area. It's really underserved. And the school that uh, was hiring couldn't find any teachers. And so I applied for the job because I had enrolled in a teaching credential program at a school nearby. And I had heard you could teach on certain permits and waivers. You were in a, in a credential program. So I uh, got offered a job in Richmond. <laughs> to teach at uh, Dejon Middle School, and I had no idea what I was doing. I, I remember going in for the, first, for, for the first day, and the people who know Richmond will know that Dejon is considered one of the most difficult schools to work in for a variety of reasons, but I loved every minute of it. Um, I, you know, I had students wanting to fight me, and I was at home. I was like, hey, you're going to beat me up. Don't fight me. Just sit in your seat. And, and it's like, sure enough, like, I really kind of fell into, fell into this role as a teacher, which I had been doing in the past, uh, but mm -hmm. just not in an educational uh, like setting. And so fell in love with it, taught there for a year, and then I got offered a job in the town that I live. Oh, so, and I was a history teacher. So oh, wow. I taught history and loved it. And there was an opening to teach digital media uh, at the school. And they knew that I had experience with photography, videography, and audio engineering. And so they asked me to teach their kind of essentially not only teach the digital media program, but to create the program from scratch. So oh, wow. I created this digital media program that encompassed all digital media. So that includes photography, videography, imaging, video editing, post-production, uh, live streaming, wow. podcasting, yeah, everything. So and, you know, it's things that I've had experience with. I just never had taught it. So I kind of ran with it and taught my students how to engineer using logic like everyone else does. And uh, yeah. it was last year was the first year that we I taught audio engineering. And my students, like, created this song uh, to the beat uh, by Ed Sheeran, Beautiful People. Okay. Yeah, do you remember that song? Uh, yeah. It's yeah. like a poppy, you know. Mm -hmm pop song that he did it's catchy and then so we just took that beat and then we had students write about Benicia and we were doing this pre-pandemic so this was like wow we started this two months before 
uh, the pandemic had started. And then, you know, we had gotten in touch with students who were musicians, who were, uh, who were rappers, all this stuff. And we had them, hey, write something and give me 16 bars. And, you know, if, if it sounds good, we'll throw it in. And sure enough, we had this kind of this hodgepodge of students who had cool stuff. But yeah, it was really cool because they re we released it in May of 2020. So it was like mm -hmm. right in the midst of the pandemic, everyone was feeling anxious, um, depressed, sad yeah. because we had lost the end of this school year. And the song dropped, we dropped that song. And like, sure enough, we had like hundreds of people saying like, I cried when I, you know, and you know, it's all about Benicia. So a lot of people who are not from Benicia don't live in Benicia won't understand a lot of the references but mm -hmm. um, you know just essentially talks about how beautiful Benicia is Benicia and Benicia High and sure enough it was exactly what we needed you know in May of 2020 so uh, it worked out pretty well that's awesome what is it about music that makes us listen to it why are we Ooh. so receptive to it so I, I have an easy answer and I have a very philosophical answer. I'll give you, I'll give you both. Uh, they're pretty short. The easy answer is we want to pass the time with something. And so music helps us do that, I think. Um, yeah. Any person, you know, everyone knows music is um, universal. Everyone loves music. Not necessarily one type of music, but some, you know, everyone loves a certain type of music. And so, yeah, I th actually think it's a, a way to pass the time. Like that's essentially why we listen to it. But I think philosophically and more innately we are actually music in ourselves like this is something that i've like pondered upon as i'm sitting on the toilet um but uh <laughs> it's a lot of thinking on the toilet for me um but like you think about your heartbeat right you got a rhythm yeah. like in your chest like trying to like emerge out like essentially right it's it's yeah. moving your lifeblood around your body through this beat that's pumping, like that's beating in your chest, right? And then like you have your voice and you talk and you, and, and I'm not even talking about musically, I'm just talking about like us talking right now. Our voice simply is words, le uh, not lyrics, but like the words we use in everyday life. Like that's like, that's melody. Like that's something we're doing like constantly. So whether people don't, you know, some people say, well, I'm not a musical person. And I would say, actually, you really are because you literally, with you talking right now to me, are you are composing a song that's unique to this moment. And, right. and they don't even realize it, right? Their heart is beating and they're giving off this incredible melody with their words. And so obviously, you can, you can really dive in deep and say, well, the harmony is all of the things around us that complement our voice, right? Uh, the people around us, nature, or, you know, whatever. But I, I really think it's um, the reason why, if you look at any culture, both ancient and modern, right? Pe there, people will arise from that culture who produce something that people listen to, right? So there is yeah. something innate in every culture that, where people want to like produce music. But I would go deeper and say, like, we're all we're all musical beings. Like, we're all producing it every moment of every day. Even the silence, because without silence, you wouldn't have music, right? You need those pauses, those breaks in your beat or in the melody to actually create the music. Or you would have just, yeah. like, this jumble of tones, right? Mm -hmm. So even in the silence, 
there is music. And yeah, I mean, that sounds super cliche and like, I, you know, philosophical, but I, I actually, you know, really believe that. Like, and it wasn't until like becoming an adult and like later adulthood realizing like music isn't, you know, you know, stepping on an overdrive pedal with my guitar and like <laughs> driving, you know, with a band, you know, around to different clubs and playing. It's music is simply like waking up, hearing your daughter's feet running to you, right? Like, yeah. like really basic stuff like that. Like I really try to live in those moments because that is the music. And I think that's why we like it. I think that's why we love music. Well, Rocky, thanks for doing this, man. No problem. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you for listening to Soundtrack with Kyle Lichty. Each person interviewed has created a playlist of the very songs that have impacted their life. If you are interested in listening to their playlist, you can head straight to our website at soundtrack.fireside.fm. Click on Soundtrack Playlist and it will take you straight to their playlist on Spotify. If you like the podcast and want to know more, check out our Instagram at Soundtrack Podcast or leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Join us next time on Soundtrack.